I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 9 for our scripture reading this morning. If you're using the uh, Red Pew Bible, that's uh, page 859. Hear the word of God. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. It had been a hard winter in the Rockies. The snow piled deeper and deeper. The temperature dropped below zero and stayed there for several days. The rivers froze over. People were suffering. So the Red Cross used helicopters to fly in supplies. After one long, hard day, as the Red Cross was returning to their base, the rescue team in a helicopter spotted a cabin nearly submerged in the snow. A thin wisp of smoke came from the chimney. The men figured the people in that cabin were probably critically short of food, fuel, and medicine. Because of the trees, they had to set the helicopter down about a mile from the cabin. They put their heavy emergency equipment on their backs. They trudged through waist-deep snow and reached the cabin, panting and perspiring. They pounded on the door, and a very thin, gaunt mountain woman answered the door. The lead man panted, Ma'am, we're here from the Red Cross. She was silent for a moment and then said, It's been a hard, long winter, Sonny. I just don't think I can give any blood this year. And she shut the door. (laughs) Do you feel as though each time you turn around, somebody else wants something from you? Do you feel so beat up that help is staring you in the face and you can't even see it? I mean, what is it that hurts you so badly that your cynicism prevents you from welcoming opportunity Help when it knocks. Are you suffering? Is the difficulty feel almost too great to bear? There's help on the way. God's word says that he speaks to us in our affliction. Will you let him? 
Will you let him into your pain and, and into your problem and into your heartache and into your difficulty? Because if you do, I think you will find that his presence can live right at that place where your pain resides. You will discover, as Charles Spurgeon put it, they who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. Peter provides us with some jewels of wisdom when it comes to suffering. And I trust that you'll open up your heart to what God wants to say to you this morning. From this passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles if you're not there. 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you're visiting with us this morning, you should know that we've been making our way through the book of 1 Peter. And we've been approaching this study with the mindset of living life on purpose. That's the theme I have chosen for this study. Those of you who have been with us throughout the study know that a concurrent theme is this matter of suffering. And the two thoughts come together in that living life on purpose requires we deal with suffering in a way that is different than one who deals with it as a victim of circumstances. Us, Christ. How do we get from where we are to where Christ is? Well, there are many answers for that. You might say praying and and reading God's word and and entering into true worship with brothers and sisters in Christ and and spending time around and with God's people and, and praising and thanking God continually. Us, Christ. What moves us closer to him? I think you would find Peter saying, nothing moves us closer to Christ than when we go through hard times. Let me say that again. That's our takeaway this morning. Nothing moves us closer to Christ than when we go through hard times. It is when we're we're flat on our face, knocked down, yes, one more time, and feel we cannot give one more thing that it just might push us toward him. Because everyone who lives life faces difficulty. Suffering exists. It does hurt. Don't minimize it. Don't try and deny it. I mean, you can deny the pain all you want. Some groups do that, you know. It's real. I came across this little limerick. A Christian scientist from Thiel said, though I know pain isn't real, when I sit on a pin and it punctures my skin, I dislike what I fancy I feel. I kind of like that. See, the suffering's real. No matter if you try and deny it. The suffering was very real to those in Peter's day, and so it is with you when you've been punctured by it. Now, there are four things that are necessary if we are to be triumphant in suffering. If we're we're going to allow that that suffering to move us closer to Christ rather than further away from him. There's four things that are necessary. And these are the four things. Expect it, exult in it, evaluate it, and entrust God with it. That's our outline this morning. First of all, expect it. Expect it. Follow along with me in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Peter begins with tender words. He says, dear friends, or or, dear loved ones, or simply beloved. 
Peter gives a little reminder in that one word, as it is in the original, that even though they are suffering, they are loved. That no matter what happens to us, we are the beloved. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So he reminds them, beloved. He goes on, do not be surprised, or better put, stop being surprised. It's a command. Stop being surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Now, does it surprise you that Peter says, don't be surprised? And whether suffering surprises us or not is totally dependent on our worldview. If we think, and it is our worldview, that bad things should not happen to good people, that bad things should not happen to us, then when they do, it will drive us away from Christ. But if we operate from a biblical worldview, then it will move us closer. Why? Because we're not surprised by it. And note that the trial spoken of here is called painful trial. Now, I don't know any other kind of trial but that which is painful. I think it's an idiom to describe problems that come through persecution. It's commonly accepted that uh, Peter is writing around the time of 64 AD. And what is significant of that date? History tells us that on July 19th in the year 64 AD, the great city of the ancient world was consumed in an unbelievable holocaust of fire. For nine straight days, a huge fire swept through Rome and destroyed almost everything. The emperor at that time was Nero. He was psychotic, to say the least. I was trying to find a word there. We could put him up there with Hitler as one of the most wicked men in all of history. It was said, Rome burned while Nero fiddled. So when this huge fire was set, and some suspected that Nero even started it, that Roman troops were even stopping people from extinguishing the fire, that then the general population started to resent their emperor at an ultimate high. People in that city lost their homes. They were devastated. Many were homeless and bitter. And the resentment was great. So Nero needing to divert attention away from himself, came up with a scapegoat. Who became a scapegoat? Who did Nero then blame? Christians. He publicly stated that Christians started this fire. It was an ingenious choice since the Christians were already victims of much hatred and victims of slander. And this public blaming only fueled the fire of hatred and it gained momentum and turned into a full-blown persecution. It is likely that the letter from Peter was written just after or around the time of this intense persecution began. Christians were imprisoned, they were burned, they were stoned, they were lacerated with hot knives and some were thrown uh, on the horns of wild bulls. And what is Peter's word to these scattered, persecuted believers? Stop being surprised. Expect it. The surprise would really be if it didn't come. For Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Jesus also said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you also. Now, most in this room and most in this country have not experienced the kind of persecution for simply living out our faith as these early Christians and and many others around the world experience. Might we experience more of it, however, if we lived less as a secret Christian and more boldly proclaimed our new life in Christ? Might we feel the ridicule from our peers and co-workers as we take more of a stand for righteousness? How will those around us respond when we say, I must obey God rather than man? What might happen to us when we stop fearing people and instead fear God and say, I cannot participate in that activity because I am a follower of Jesus Christ rather than some lame, safe excuse reason that we give? Are you expecting suffering to come? I mean, not in some pessimistic, resigned kind of way, but because you're standing for righteousness. It should not surprise us. Now, I guess what still does surprise me is, you know what it is? How often the suffering for righteousness' sake comes from within the church. That surprises me still. What continues to surprise me is how badly beaten saints doing battle in the world come into the church hoping to find a safe place and get beat up some more. That still surprises me. Loved ones, loved ones, please, I beg you, stop hurting each other. The battle is out there, and it's hard enough. Let's not shoot our wounded, as the saying goes. Let's huddle together and put courage into one another so we can go out and face the world again. Peter's words here are spoken to Christians and what they can expect from a hostile world. Expect it. He he goes on to say, not only expect it, but exult in it. Exult in it. Verse 13 begins with a contrast to what he just said. Verse 13, but rejoice. And Peter just got through saying at the end of verse 12, as though something strange were happening to you. Now that phrase, were happening, the end of verse 12, it means to fall by chance. Grab a hold of that. When suffering comes, Peter tells us we should not think for a moment that these things were happening to us by chance. No, God allows it. He designed it for the purpose of purging and for testing and refining us. Suffering does not interfere with God's plan. We see it as a disruption. It isn't. And because of that, you know, we can rejoice. It's a continuous action, and in the present tense, it means to keep on rejoicing. And more than that, the text says we can be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You see, there's a future aspect to this that keeps us triumphant in the midst of suffering. We can exult in it because the future glory will far outweigh our present sufferings. We look forward to that. Now, if you had a choice, if you had a choice between a smooth flight with a crash landing, (laughs) 
or a bumpy flight with a safe landing, which one would you choose? Now, I know you say, I don't want either. <laughs> well, unfortunately, you've got to choose one of them. You would no doubt choose for the bumpy flight, safe landing. There are those who say, I don't want trials. I don't want to go against the world system. I don't want to stand for righteousness. I don't want to deal with all that daily discipline stuff. I just want smooth sailing. There are many who are living for the pleasures of sin in hopes to avoid as much of the bumpiness in this life or at least numb the pain of reality now. They're fools. For although they might escape a bump or two presently, they're ultimately headed for a fiery crash landing. On the other hand, those of us who presently deal with some bumps along the way and compare to eternal glory, they are only bumps. Those of us who deal with some bumps along the way are promised a safe landing in heaven. Eternal perspective is very important. But there's help along the way as well. His presence is knocking at the door. Look what it says at the end of verse 14. Verse 14, it says, For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now that phrase, Spirit of glory, could be translated the Spirit who is glorious or the Spirit who has glory. And when Peter spoke to these Christians here, primarily made up of Jews, what do you suppose might have come to their mind when they heard the words, the Spirit who has glory? I think their minds would have gone directly to the Old Testament and the Shekinah glory of God. That glory that filled the temple and and that signified in a very unique way the very presence of God, that God was in that place. So Peter's saying here, when you're suffering, you can be sure of this, you have the presence of God right in the midst of it. You as God's temple are filled with glory of God, the holy of holies, the very presence of God. And Peter adds this beautiful word to that about this presence, and he says, rests on you. It rests on you. I want us to grab that, because the word rest here is the sense of refreshing by taking over for you. That's what it means. Refreshing you by taking over for you. It is when we are in that painful ordeal, that troubling situation, that affliction that is very personal, that the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit rests on you. God takes over. He's the dominant power in the midst of whatever you're going through. The choice then is to allow him to take over or keep fighting for control yourself. When affliction strikes you, you can say, here it is, God. Or you can dig in and and pay back and get bitter and take matters into your own hands and manage and manipulate things so you can work around your trial. You can do that or try. What happens when you do? A dad and his daughter were walking in the forest and they came upon something you rarely see. It was an almost born butterfly. The little cocoon was spinning and spinning and and part of one fabulous wing was already out. 
This was right at the eye level of his little girl. And she said, oh, daddy, he's just struggling to get out. And the dad thought, I'll just help it. And he reached down ever so carefully and gently and and took the bottom of that cocoon and split it. What happened? It all dropped in a blob and killed the butterfly. The dad said, I learned a very valuable lesson that day. They need the struggle of emergence in order to survive. As Augustine put it, trials come to prove us and to improve us. We want the shortcuts. We want to run around them rather than through them. A true story took place in Darlington, Maryland several years ago. Edith, the mother of eight, was coming home from her neighbor's house one Saturday afternoon, and things seemed too quiet as she walked across her front yard. Curious, she peered through the screen door, and she saw five of her youngest children huddled together, concentrating on something. As she crept closer to them, trying to discover the center of attention, she could not believe her eyes. (laughs) Smack dab in the middle of the circle where these kids were gathered around were five baby skunks. Edith screamed at the top of her voice, Quick, children, run! Each kid grabbed a skunk and ran. (laughs) Listen, you try and go around your problem, You say, I'm not going to deal with it? Listen, you take your problem with you. You take your problem with you. And sometimes everything inside of us screams, run! And we run! Carrying the problem with us. You can run from your trials. But if you stay there, you'll be here and Christ will be here. And that's what many do. Difficulty comes in our life, and that's it. I'm never, I'm never going to church again. I'm certainly not going to that church again because they wounded me. And I'm done with this whole Christian thing. Why? Because I never should have gone through this. Who said? Who told you that? Peter didn't. He said, expect it and exult in it. Expecting and exulting are directly linked. Yet how many Christians have been disillusioned by this rose garden theology? I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Along with the sunshine, there has to be a little rain sometime. I'm dating myself here with that one. I must be doing something wrong here because my life has not been a rose garden. Has yours? Whoever said that to commit your life to Christ, you would experience no difficulty. Let me rephrase that. Where did we ever get this idea from Scripture that to commit to Christ, we would experience no difficulty? Because men have said such foolish things. And so often we come to Christ and we lead others to Christ, and the thinking is, all will be well. It's wishful thinking. It's bad theology. And so when trouble hits, and it will, there is no rejoicing but a reacting that moves them further away from Christ. And they say, hang it, I'm done with this. Remember, God has a purpose in your suffering, and it's to move you closer to Christ. 
all sun, all the time, and all you have is a desert. We should expect it. We should exult in it. Thirdly, if we ought to be triumphant in trial, having it move us closer to Christ, then we need to evaluate it. Evaluate it. Verse 14, uh, excuse me, verse 15 says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Peter here speaks to the nature of unacceptable suffering, the suffering we bring upon ourselves because of wrong choices. You see it all the time. Someone does something stupid and gets in all kinds of a mess because of their sinful choice, and they say, oh, the devil must be after me. He's pretty happy with you right now. Oh, this is what it comes for being a Christian. No, it comes with doing dumb things. It comes because of our sinful lifestyle and our sinful choices. So when suffering comes, we are to pause and ask, why? Make sure that it isn't because of your own sinful doing. I find it interesting here that in this list Peter gives, murderer, thief, criminal, he adds, even as a meddler. Meddler is the idea of being a troublemaker. It means to stick your nose in everyone else's business. Remember MYOB? You might know some Christians who think it's their duty to go around and straighten everyone else out. You may know some who are always pointing out what's wrong with everyone else. You may be one yourself. The word to you is, listen, if you keep sticking your nose in everyone else's business and someone breaks your nose, don't chalk it up to the suffering for Christ. That's what he's saying. And if we ought to be triumphant in suffering, then we should take a moment to evaluate, to make sure it isn't something we brought on ourselves. You see, a little evaluating, a little self-examining is good. And I don't have time to address verses 17 and 18 because I want to get to our conclusion this morning. But if I were to sum up verses 17 and 18, it would be this. Look at our suffering as a sign that we are God's children and as an opportunity to clean up the household of God. In other words, let your suffering drive you to Christ by evaluating what needs to stay and what needs to go. And it's in time of suffering we evaluate what's really important in life, don't we? I mean, when when someone you love is diagnosed with significant illness, it doesn't matter whether the house was spotless. It doesn't matter whether the car was red like she wanted or black like you wanted. When suffering hits, what we once thought important enough to fight about isn't that important, is it? It's true in our marriages, it's true in our homes, and it's true in the church family. Expect it, exult and evaluate it. I need to get to this last one. It boils down to this and trust ourselves to God. And trust ourselves to God. When suffering hits, I likely cannot do anything about my situation, but is, what is the one thing I can do? I may not be able to figure, all, figure it all out as to why I'm suffering, but what can I do? Verse 19 says it straight. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Commit and trust. It's a banking term. And it means to deposit for safekeeping. What is your trial right now? What is your pain? What is your struggle? What is your difficulty? 
Turn it over to your faithful creator to care for. Put it in the bank. And while you're giving it to him, don't forget to continue to do what is good. Don't wait until you're on the other side of suffering to do good, as so often we do. Oh, when I get through all this, then I'll start doing good. No, do good now while you're in it. And take what it comes and commit yourself to God. Now, why is it that one person going through suffering becomes cold, hard, and cynical? And another person going through suffering becomes tender, gentle, and strong in their faith. Why is that? Because it is, as one person put it, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. You see, suffering in and of itself does not lead a person into a closer, deeper relationship with Christ. It's what you do in the midst of it. The question isn't, what kind of suffering have you had? Or what kind of pain is in your life right now? The question is, does it bring you closer to Christ or steer you away from him? Are you growing when the going gets tough? Because nothing moves us closer to Christ than when we go through hard times. Hudson Taylor said it this way, It does not matter how great the pressing, only where it lies. If it presses me to Jesus, the response of faith, it is a blessing. If it comes between Jesus and me, unbelieving, it becomes a curse. Us. Christ. Are you stuck right here asking, why, 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 why? Why me? Why now? Why again? What's getting in the way? Expect it. Exult in it. Evaluate it. And trust yourself to your faithful creator, and you will find it moves you closer to him. We allow it to move you here. See, Christ is knocking on your door. He wants to help. Will you let him in? Pain knocked upon my door and said that she had come to stay. And though I would not welcome her but bade her go away, she entered in. Like my own shade, she followed after me, and from her stabbing, stinging sword, no moment was I free. And then one day, another knocked most gently at my door. I cried, no, Pain is living here. There's no room for more. Then I heard his tender voice. Tis I do not be afraid. And from the day he entered in, the difference it is made. For though he did not bid her leave, my strange, unwelcome guest, he taught me how to live with her. Oh, I had never guessed. That we could dwell so sweetly here, my Lord, pain, and I within this fragile house of clay, while years slip slowly by. Let's pray. Lord, may we allow you to enter into our pain. Forgive us if we pushed you away. Forgive us if we said, no, I'm going to handle this. Forgive us if we've run from it. We're trying to run from it. May instead we walk in it, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives in us. 
Give strength to your people this morning. Give strength to us as a church family. In the midst of struggles of life, we would find your very presence right there with us, pulling us through. That we pull together and huddle together to help build each other up, to face a hostile world. We thank you for these words from Peter this morning. May they touch our hearts as we live day by day with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hymn number 56 as we close. 56.